How is it? <laughs> Bad as usual. <laughs> I think about Sophocles, uh, Oedipus set at Colonus, you know. The biggest luck is not to have been born at all. <laughs> yes, and yes. then uh, Lacan adds a joke, but very few people succeed this. <laughs> so I think that this Sophocles wisdom should be used for abortion propaganda. Like, you know, the best luck for your child not to be born, we can arrange it for you. Yes, yes. <laughs> abortion, no? Do you know uh, that modern science puts, like, uh, your chance to be born at 400 trillion to one? Why? Because all the... Because, like, you could have been a tree, like, or, or whatever, or not. Like, the chance of... Uh, yeah. No, I thought you will say something else, because it, in a literal biological way, you know, uh, your sperm... It gets, so I read, a couple of thousand contacts with what's the woman's body, uh, sorry, the woman's part where uh, the sperm infertilizes it, your... So, basically, if you adopt this absolutely strict definition, when the sperm touches the egg or what, then God is the greatest abortionist. Because a, you have a couple of thousand of this and God chooses one. This will be the child. God is the absolute abortionist, you know. Also, you know Christians who are so much against abortion, how they treat, if you look at it uh, historically, because so I read in medieval times or earlier, what counted was, uh, was uh, baptizing. At that point, the child was considered fully human. What you do, that's why they baptized it so quickly. That moment when the child is already born but not yet baptized, eh, it's basically an animal. What you do, what you do is your... Pro- no, what fascinates me is this absolute, absolute hypocrisy of the Catholic Church, you know. At the same time, they are against homosexuality, but my God, they are the... World Homosexual Organization. Yes. Now that in it's again and again discovered, at least Catholic Church, you know, it's again and again discovered. In Australia, they, some journalists did a statistic, they thought like about around 10% of the priests are rapists of young boys, probably. Now what shocked me is this, is this total lack of minimal self, okay, I'm sorry for this Stalinist self-criticism. You know, like, how dare you? You are doing it, you know. Do you think they go to the church to, for that? Or do you think that's... It's much more... And... No, 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 no. It's much more perverse. I've written about it and even some delegate of Vatican... I published a text in Neue Zürcher Zeitung, answered, attacked me, because my point was this one, that it's much worse than you think. It's not, okay, I'm a pedophile gay, so let's become priest. It's much more perverse. There are a couple of cases. There is an excellent uh, American book by somebody called Gary Wills, W-I-L-L-S, who demonstrated that it's like kind of a hidden institutional secret in the church itself, what he demonstrated is that there were cases where the, uh, somebody became a priest, had a couple of affairs before, and was, under quotation marks, I'm not homophobic, normal, straight, and then under influence of the church he became. So that's the first thing, it's institutional. It's not, okay, I'm pedophile, let me become a priest. It's the other way around. Second thing that fascinated this guy, he made detailed study, maybe in a half illegal way, with microphones and so on. How do priests seduce young boys? And what's so shocking is that it's not, now we do a secret, it's, no. They, they mobilize the entire church machinery. Usually it begins with confession. Were you doing something ugly? Yes. Show me what you were doing. Were you doing this? And then, I'm sorry to be obscene, I put my hand on you. Were you doing it like this? And so on. It's incredible how, again, it's, again, it's not the, the seduction by priesthood. It's not done as foreign to the, it's something external, oh my god, I'm privately a sinner. It's strictly part of the church church machinery. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, 
at least you, by you I mean Orthodox and Protestants are a little bit better here, <laughs> you know. Or maybe a little bit more secret, you know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I really sincerely think that probably it's not so much pedophilia or are there rumors that, that there are also cases of pedophilia in in, in Orthodox Church. Are there? I'm not saying they are clean. They are all filthy. But I they're doubt... They're not heard of. Like, Sorry? They're not heard of. Like, they're not but you known. think there I, I, are? I doubt. I think doubt, it yes. is unfortunate. I'm not saying... Homosexuality, uh, yes. But Peter... Uh, that, uh, everybody yes. does this. I was told by my Greek friends that, you know, uh, one of those half peninsulas in the north of Greece, towards Thessaloniki, I... I knew the name, where you have many monasteries and so on. But it's the center of homosexuality in Greece, you know, young boys coming yes, there. Yes, and yes. Greek church is... But nonetheless, my Greek friends told me, it's not pedophilia, that's the trick. It's just, they are gay, they screw each other like crazy there and so on. And for those who are not gay, Greeks make fun of them. From nearby, outside that sacred domain, of monasteries, boats are bringing uh, women, Ukrainian prostitutes, all that usual stuff, they're bringing them there. You know, which is, would you agree at this level, maybe the most tragic country in Europe, Moldova. Yes. They are the poorest, mm -hmm. and, okay, that's the rumor, maybe it's true. They have very beautiful women, which, which is why, of course, there are more Ukrainian prostitutes, because they are simply a greater, larger country. But per capita, Moldova is most tragic, I heard, you know. Yeah, yeah. But they're doing, I heard, you know, if you look at decadence of modern prostitution, they already told you these stories. The saddest story are Arab Emirates. I met, they already tell you the story, it's a wonderful one. I met a Slovene doctor who worked in Dubai, and then at emergencies. And then he said he was well paid, had a villa there, almost Olympic swimming. But then he said, I will um, quit the job there. I cannot do it. You know why? Every weekend, around 10 to 20,000 Saudi Arabians and from other rich conservative parts come to Dubai for drugs or this prostitution. And of course, all those rich princes get very violent. They beat women, cut them, almost kill them. And his duty was to fix them up, the women there. You know, to patch, you know, to save them. And then he said, okay, what do I put in my records? They told him nothing. They, they totally protect the princes. If you do this, but on the other so hand... Basically Dubai, which is renowned as a more like yeah, liberal, more yeah. permissive, and an exclave yeah, yeah. within the country is being used. Absolutely. <coughs> they pretend to be permissive only to get the tourists. They are permissive for rich Saudi Arab princes, but Saudi Arabia, it's becoming almost my ideal country. You know what I learned now there? At now, and they claim that this is a big step towards women's equality. They passed a rule that if a man divorces his wife, he must inform the wife. Oh, yes, I know. Because, you know, notice this, they found a case where the man divorced through his whatever priest, not telling his wife because he was still screwing her. And then, you know what happened when this became known? It's beautiful. The wife was accused of having sex with a guy who was not her <laughs> husband, although she didn't know it, you know. So now they celebrate it. What a progress in women's But do you right? know now there is an application, like a smartphone application, yeah. to basically inform the wives of the former wives? Because That was the big revolution. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, I know, I know. On the other hand, we are crazy in the same way. In Australia, they don't practice it, but... Two of the states of Australia, New South Wales is one. Do you know that they have a law? Okay, people laugh a little bit, they don't practice it. But they have a law that uh, before a couple makes love, now it gets all complicated if they're already married. Do you have, uh, it's ridiculous to ask each time your wife or wife you written permission, but let's say, uh, you are a woman, I'm a man, we meet in a bar, uh, let's do it. Mm -hmm. That it must be somehow recorded. Mm. 
that we both agree. Oh, Either on camera, we sign it and so on. I like Stalin would be jumping out of pleasure in his grave, like you know. Everything has to be recorded by the state and so on, you know. So it's the rule. I'm not kidding. It's the rule that, and they even use uh, such a ridiculous term, which is basically, feminists agreed with me, so humiliating for women. They say that both partners must, uh, they use this term, not me, it's in the law, enthusiastically affirm that they want to make love. But if you know how women are and also men, I mean, it's very, it's very humiliating for, let's say a woman wants to sleep with you, but it's usually done in a discreet way. What should the woman say? Yeah, yeah, fuck me, please. It's extremely humiliating, you know. I mean, the, this is the paradox of political correctness, no? On the other hand, everybody knows that this uh, regulation, legal, is meaningless because you can also fake it. You can threaten the woman or whatever. It's totally it's meaningless. These are the problems of political correctness. Not that it's too radical, but it, it's radical in a totally wrong way. I mean, it will. I always tell them before we almost begin to fight and shout. You elected Trump with yes. your stupidity. This politically correct madness was the key factor for the popularity of Trump among ordinary among ordinary people. No, no, it's so humiliating. What's the deal with the uh, debate with Jordan Peterson? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, uh, uh, now he wants to it's, do it's other happening. debates. Yes, on 19th of April in Toronto. Now he wants to do it with me in London for BBC more. I, I accepted only one because, you know, first he rhetorically is pretty good. Mm -hmm. So we made a precise deal. I set my conditions. First, it's not even a debate. There is a neutral moderator. We both check that he is neutral. And uh, the moderator introduces us, then each of us speaks for half an hour, presenting his theory case, not addressing each other, just presentation. Then each of us answers the other in 10 minutes, and then it's Q&A with the public. Because what I wanted to avoid is this lively exchange where maybe he is even better. He's, he's very good at this Muslim style of, don't use this, <laughs> Muslim style of, in the sense that he knows very, first, he gives you some 10 books, but you know that biological study proves this, proves that. And then he insists on that, and he, of course, you don't know all those books, no? This is one, uh, uh, so uh, 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 I wanted to make it my, uh, this more, more this neutral. And the second thing, now this will be so arrogant. My plan is to play Kennedy in that famous 1960 Kennedy-Nixon debate, not address him. You know why Kennedy won? Nixon was addressing Kennedy, your program, Democratic Week here, there. Kennedy looked into the camera and says, you American people. You are tough, weakened, you know, and I will try it because the reason I accepted it, one reason was also not to appear coward. He was challenging me and people were already saying, oh, are you afraid? The second reason is, ah, it's more tricky, political. I want to address people who may be attracted by him, who are sick of stupidities of political correctness and tell them something like, are you tired of stupidities of political correctness? Don't go to him, Peterson, vote Bernie Sanders. Yes. <laughs> That's my message. Who is already now uh, widely attacked. You know this. Uh, didn't they publish me in Russia today? Yes. Yeah. My text on... They did, yes. No, no, Sanders' feminist attacks on him. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Even England is affected. In The Guardian, which now you see clearly the limit of... Guardian. It's clear that Guardian is part of establishment, uh, where they publish me online from time to time uh, independent. It's better, but I discovered why. One of your guys, not purely, 
half still Putin, half dissident, Lebedev. Yes, yes. He controls Guardian, and that's the sad thing. Long live Russian oligarch. That's why it's a little bit more open. Guardian, also, Julian Assange told me this. Guardian is the only big daily now a little bit open. Uh, no, sorry, uh, independent. Guardian is totally, they set these limits. They are against Assange. They totally buy this story. They are. Uh, against Maduro, I'm also against Maduro. I don't buy this, oh Maduro, good socialist democrat. But uh, let's face it, what Americans are doing is a well-planned operation also. That's why did you, RT, publish or somewhere else a short text on this where I emphasize this? You know, that's the sad lesson of today. If one side is bad, it doesn't mean that the opposite side is good. Right, can I put this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a place here? Yes. Okay, okay. Oh, you will pay? Ah, no, you will not pay with a card because... Uh, you know which country fascinated me? It sticks out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Russia, but uh, Japan. They are much more cash-oriented. You can have banking card for cash, but in the stores they don't like you paying with credit card. Exactly, that's what's going on in And I am an old gangster guy. I prefer it because credit cards, they identify you. I want to be free to cheat. That's why I remembered, I loved it. You know, when Americans put new forum of $100 bills, some 10, 15, there was panic in Russia because they had all these secret stacks. Yes, and yes. the American banks bought big, uh, big advertisement in Russian newspapers. The old uh, $100 bills are indefinitely valid, don't worry. <laughs> But and do you know that, by the way, in Moscow, which yeah. was uh, one of the very first cities like across the planet to yeah. introduce you know credit cards and so on and so ah, really? very very yeah, yeah. but now the you know turning back to cash yeah. like most restaurants will, will say if you have cash some of them will why say, because they cheat here it is no, because, because they cheat because they, they don't, they like, don't uh, have tech you know the avoid like tech to give uh, probably one percent of the income to the banks ah, and okay it's reasonable why not why not it's, it's absolutely big, you know return yeah yeah no but i like this how but also One of your ex-repub, Estonia, mm -hmm. were not they the first to computerize even elections? You can vote through the web and so on. Yes. Although I think this is ambiguous because it's one step towards this and I don't like it. This permanent referendum. Okay, we vote and at the end, every weekend you will have to vote for something and so on. You know, it makes it... Just you go to a PC, you click. It may. I think that elections are crucial. Don't you think they should be something a little bit ritualistic, exceptional? Not just you. Not just yeah, yeah. you sit there. Not, you not know, like a daily routine. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, you know, which is another. Now I learned from some Slovene journalists who know very well the situation in China. You know, but they are all doing this. Like Huawei is nonetheless not a lot better than uh, than uh, I mean uh, how what are they called uh, uh, Google uh, Google Facebook and right. all those you know it's very sad how all this wait a minute where did I put the paper how all these big companies uh -huh. wait a minute yeah 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 let's take the code uh, yes and You know, once I was improvising very well for uh, 20 minutes, and then she told me, it's wonderful, Slavo, but you know, there was something wrong with a light, then let's sleep. Fuck, fuck you in all positions, you know. Uh -huh. Somebody counted it and said, Zizia gave a five minute interview, he did this 80 times, you know, <laughs> so what, uh, I know, I know the story, yes. And people are already saying that it will be interesting to watch me and Peterson because he's a total obsessive call. Okay. And, so, and okay. I will be doing all my sniffing and <laughs> waving there. This is uh, a little bit of naughty things. Uh, who is? Uh, 
This is what? Pornhub, which is like the world's biggest pornography online. I eat pornography? Yeah, these are the world's most viewed categories. Like, I immediately thought of you, like, yeah. you know. Uh, lesbian? Lesbian in the United States. Really? America. Yes. Why? It's Although, lesbian. do you know this, that uh, um, with lesbianism, I read in essay, it's very complicated because, do you know that? In, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no. In hardcore standard pornography it's allowed to have a lesbian interlude to yeah, women yeah. this goes but you never have male homosexual in never. a heterosexual I mean, so lesbianism has a spe it attracts men also to see about really and what are you russians normal fuck H what hentai what is hentai I'm hentai so is japanese uh, uh, cartoons basically ah yeah the cartoons of co you watch this i i'm shocked to know this yes uh, and but these are pornographic live like china. right russia china and the so-called you know dirty saudi arabia <laughs> egypt also also lesbian who are the normal people the green ones I'm not sure there are any no, more normal people. What is this? Uh, Le lesbian? I think. Le Ebonese blacks or what? Ebonese blacks. Fuck Ebony this. Blacks. What is... Uh, okay, so Ebony... Uh, MILF stands for... Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Indians. Indians? Because I quite... I envy Macron, you know. I find MILF quite attractive. Isn't a dream of all of us when yes, you were in a yeah. high school to yes, be seduced yeah, yeah. by a nice teacher and so on? <laughs> MILF, nothing against. So how did you... You flew yesterday? What is Aeroflot or Adria? Both have flights. No, I flew through Warsaw in Poland. Why? Polish traitors, Catholics. <laughs> uh, when you approach... Yeah, when you approach Warsaw, yeah. you can they see... No, no, no. You can see from outside, when you see Warsaw, no, yeah. down, the Soviet Stalin's oh, gift. Course, yeah. You can see it from... But you know, I like this about Polish peoples. They're not as bad as some people claim, only anti-Semitic. I was told now it's the same thing as here in ex-Yugoslavia, all republics, that uh, there, there was a certain type of socialist pop music where they were also inviting soviet pop singers and it it has a, a revival now it's uh, and i don't think it's really longing for that time but it's nonetheless a kind of a weird nostalgia like i don't want to go back there but and also you know the idiots immediately after the fall of the uh, iron curtain you remember they wanted there are even plans to destroy that building but now in a strange way it's a Meeting ground for the young people. You know where I agree with Polish racism? I saw this there. You know, this cheap, uh, easy jet, whatever, Ryanair flights, many of them, British tourists for football matches or to drink cheap beer, they flew there and they were so brutal that, in a way, I understand it. They showed me there on Krakow, on beer places, cafeterias, an inscription, the expected one, dogs and Englishmen, entrance forbidden. <laughs> you know, I understand them. Even here in Slovenia we have it. This, I'm sorry to say this, not very much, lower class, brutal English soccer fans or people who got drunk, they can be very violent. They're the worst. Absolute racism is, I always liked to play with this to shock my friends, we should be against racism, but selectively, <laughs> okay, losing time, give okay. orders. Okay. Recording? Ah, recording. Long live comrade Stalin, no freedom for the enemies of freedom, my favorite, Robespierre. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. First question. Zizek is famously a critic of political correctness, PC culture. One of his other points is that he is a fan of manners, common courtesy and so on. But at the face of it, political correctness can be read as an extension of manners in terms of avoiding offense. So, how do I get out of this tension? Beautiful question, but I have an answer. For me, political correctness is precisely not an approach of manners, but of strict regulation. Manners means to do something which, 
you are not formally obliged to do. Manners are. You obey them or not. They are not criminal. The tragedy of political correctness is that instead of appealing to manners, they try to enforce direct regulation, even legal prosecution, if you don't follow. That's, for me, the true problem with political correctness. Again, it's not manners. It's the decay of manners, which have to be spontaneous. Manners is not if you behave, if you don't behave properly, you will be punished. Manners are a matter of, like, your second nature and so on. So, again, there is a clear opposition here, I claim. Let's go on. Uh, another question. I want to hear his take on corporations coping feminism and body positivity for marketing initiative. Well, a nice question, but uh, I think it's self-obvious. My problem with one line in modern feminism and so on, uh, and so on, and transgender and so on, is that it fits perfectly the way contemporary global capitalism functions. We have to ask a very naive Marxist question, which is, what type of subjectivity fits today's global capitalism? I think it's no longer patriarchal authority, uh, sexual oppression. No, today's capitalism thrives on multiple identities. You have to reinvent yourself for obvious reasons of... Uh, of uh, consumerism and so on and so on. And uh, so I, you know where this idea came to me? When it was presented as so subversive, this transgender idea. Do we have special toilets for transgender people? How should they be called? If it's not he or she, it is Z or they or what? Nice, I support this. But I was a little bit shocked how entire practically corporate America immediately supported it. So I think this point is crucial for me, that we have, of course, neoconservatives striking back and so on, but this is strictly a reaction. Neocons, alt-right and so on. The determining factor, the nominant form today, is this, what I ironically called a uh, Western Buddhism or spiritualized hedonism. Enjoy yourself, make something out of life, which is something that, and here I'm very traditional, that uh, ignores any idea of a higher task. My God, the reason I'm here on this earth is not just to have a good time, but to do something higher and so on, art, science, politics, is dismissed as oppressive. No, I'm the center. And this, again, fits perfectly modern capitalism, which is why, again, one has to repeat it, modern capitalism absolutely no longer needs patriarchal authority. It functions in a permissive way precisely because, through different modes of iPhone, Facebook, digital control, and so on. This permissivity is already filtered through radical measures of control. I will give you just to conclude this another example that I like. Uh, how, on the one hand, we live in hedonist societies. You want to have sex with dogs, triple sex, trigender, what, you do whatever you want. But at the same time, was sex ever more regulated in, yes, but how do I do it so that I don't offend you if I want to seduce you? And all these political characters. And for a, somebody who studied psychoanalysis like me, this is easy to account for. How, how precisely this radical permissivity, dedicate your life to pleasures, do whatever you want, has to end up in detailed control and Regulation. Okay, let's go on. The next talk was two asterisks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's about the relationship between philosophy and jokes. Wittgenstein speculated that one day a great philosophical work would be written that was comprised entirely of jokes. And, okay, if I could reflect on this. Yes, I can, because I think that... Uh, 
maybe there is already another book which can be read as a series of jokes, Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit. Because there is something in this famous dialectical reversal when following the inner logic things are, as it were, turned around. This is a big comical moment. It can be also a very tragic comical moment, but it's comical. For example, October Revolution started as liberation and so on and so on. At the end, you get Stalin and so on. This is a very tragic joke, but it's a mega joke. But my underlying idea here is that, again, we have two types of jokes. We have ordinary, uh, we have jokes where you just laugh, and then when things go really tragic, half crazy, you know, like, my God, I... It's when it, they got so horrible that you cannot even call them a tragedy. Then some kind of a weird humor where you don't laugh. You're just too horrified, emerges again. The idea, this came to me when I was reading Primo Levi, if this is a man, and I discovered that many most horrifying scenes that he described from Auschwitz read as jokes. But the message of this is not, it wasn't serious, we should laugh at it. The message of this is that uh, it's so horrible that it can no longer be a tragedy. Because remember, in a tragedy, the victim retains his or her dignity. Tragedy means you are the terrorist, you oppress me. No, I prefer to lose my life, I heroically oppose to you in Auschwitz or maybe in Gulag, you couldn't play these games. So again, it's a much darker relationship. It's not just that for these lively dialectical reversals, you need some kind of uh, philosophical humor. It's a much darker dimension also that the utter horror of history has to be done as a joke. And what I'm doing now, maybe, the person who kindly asked the question, uh, what uh, uh, I'm doing now is trying to apply this to Bible. I think that, and Kierkegaard saw this clearly, that crucifixion is a joke. New Testament is a comedy. It's absolutely crucial to see this, to read the Bible as a series of jokes. Look, let's begin at almost the beginning, the fall. God is there clearly an evil jokester. He does everything. He apparently gives a choice through the snake. Will you eat the apple or not? But isn't this a fake choice if there ever was one? Isn't it that it's absolutely clear, even predicted that Eve and then Aban will make uh, the wrong choice and so on and so on. It's absolutely crucial, again, to read Christianity as a comic religion. Okay, let's go on. Now we have this, given the celebratory retrospective underbelly of the interviewer, to know Zizek hopes to be remembered both as a philosopher and as a political actor. No. No, first, both are not at the same level. I'm doing some political analysis. I support here and there some political movement. I don't really do politics. I do some analysis. But more as an amateur, whenever I do my political short texts, it's, I have always this feeling I shouldn't be doing it. I'm not really in it. Some other people who know it better should be doing it. Why are they not doing it? So uh, basically, I'm more and more now returning to its philosophy. And even people don't notice it. I'm not here a postmodernist madman. I'm very traditional guy here. My problem is one. What went wrong with Marxist reversal of Hegel? I think the greatest event in the history of philosophy is Kant Hegel, and then we still live in that shadow. And I think that both uh, Marx, Freud, Heidegger, all that stuff, it's still post-Hegelian space, but we didn't yet come to settle our accounts with German idealism. And that's why maybe this will be of some interest to my friend who asked me this question. Maybe the new phenomenon now will move us out of Hegelian space of subjectivity. That's why I'm so interested about this idea of Neuralink, the idea of directly 
wiring our brain, connecting it with the computer. What does this mean for the status of subjectivity? Are we still in the space of Hegelian dialectics or not? So, <laughs> I, you know, once I made a nice joke about Kafka, they now republished, do you know this, Kafka's legal text. You know that Kafka was publishing as an attorney lawyer with some workers' insurance agency. He was publishing legal advices texts. And my idea is that 100 years from now, you look at an encyclopedia, you look at Kafka, Czech, German, legal theorist, who in first time wrote some novels, not very important, Castle and Simon Trial. And maybe I would like to be remembered like this. Wrote thick books on Hegel and to amuse himself some unimportant political analysis and so on. It's absolutely philosophy which matters. What did I do here? Uh, no, given the... Ah, it goes jump down. That Just to go fully deep. My, ah, just to go. Okay, okay. He used to work to be a movie director. No, uh, the reason I... Why didn't I... I said somewhere that I really wanted to be a movie director. What kind of movies would I make? How would I have done it? Well, the sincere answer is I don't know why, because it is not that I am not a movie director because uh, I didn't get money or whatever. I broke down already. I can tell you exactly when I was in the second or third year of the high school. I simply courageously, sorry, <coughs> in the second or third year of my high school, uh, Seeing all the classical movies in Ljubljana, we had a good cinematheque, watching all the classical movies. I simply discovered that I'm not good enough for that. So now I have still a secret, more modest dream, not a movie director, but to be a director staging a great classical opera. Maybe Wagner, Parsifal, or something like that. On the other hand, I think that... This doesn't mean that maybe I will do or did something good because I discovered how often, almost as a rule, when you are not able to become what you want, but you move somewhere else, it's good for you. It's all the best. So I'm not a pessimist here. Zizek, what questions should we be asking? Ah, here you will get an evil one. Uh, uh, my favorite questions would have been either vulgar one, no, no, not in sexual vulgarity, but ordinary one, or highly sophisticated ones. Like, my favorite philosophical question, we are struggling with it all the time, is uh, Hegel's phenomenology of spirit. It's obviously not consistent. Hegel changed the plan after the, the chapter of self-consciousness and reason he moves on, and so... What's the true inner structure of Hegel's phenomenology of spirit or things like this? These are my favorite questions. On the other hand, I believe not only in Hollywood, but in popular cinema, they are the best indicator of where we are spiritually, humanity today. So another type of question I would have liked is which recent movies I liked and not in this, and I don't have any prejudices here. I like serious, so-called serious movies, like of Russian movies, Nelyubov, one of my favorite ones, and so on. But also, I don't underestimate good, not only Hollywood, but also other uh, blockbusters. For example, people ask me, why do I still believe in communism? I told them, but Hollywood knows what's the only alternative. Look at all this, uh, 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 all this, uh, it's a whole genre now in Hollywood, this uh, uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland, uh, humanity barely survives, and so on. This is our future. So, again, a mixture between popular culture and highest theory, and the question I would like to ask him, my friend who is asking me this question is, why were political jokes so good in real socialism, Stalinism, and so on? The greatest catastrophe, cultural for me, of the fall of real socialism was 
the disappearance of excellent political jokes. Not only Russia, but, but, uh, but uh, this triangle, Czechoslovakia, Poland, East Germany, they had incredible jokes. And this is a sad sign how our political jokes, insofar as they still exist today, are of a breathtakingly more vulgar nature today. Uh, I, uh, Yeah. Sorry? Eh? Oh, maybe I can read it. No, no. Ah, yeah, post-ironic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I missed it before. say what I want to say and then KGB will not have it recorded. <laughs> it goes now? No, when you say metapolitical, uh, I'm doubtful about this term. I think that a certain metapolitical approach is precisely part of our predominant, uh, predominant post-ideological uh, cynical attitude. What we need is not a metapolitical stance, it's precisely simple, pure political engagement. People are afraid almost to, only neoconservatives, and I admire them, are ready to do it, to really fully politically engage. You must at the same time deconstruct it, signal it not to be taken too seriously, and so on and so on. The problem today for me is that not that we are too serious, but we are too much in this ironic attitude and so on. That's why, as I mentioned before, I admire those children who protest against global warming. They are not ironic. They are deadly serious in the way that we, today's adults, are not ready to be serious. And that's where I think people often misunderstand me. I may use many jokes and so on and so on, but basically I'm deadly serious. Listen, if I wouldn't be fanatically dedicated to my work, do you think that I would spend... I'm a workaholic. Hours every day just to write then almost some of them 1,000 long, 1,000 pages long books on Hegel and so on and so on. I'm deadly serious in politics and in theory. I think we need to return to serious approach. I wanted to ask him, I uh, didn't get a chance, a guy to ask me. He said hysterics is the only appropriate response. Does he think that the election of Trump is an expression of hysterics? Uh, no, it's precisely, I think, uh, the election of Trump. You know why? Uh, let me begin by this. Uh, hysteria is for me an authentic attitude because, not perversion, perversion is falsely transgressive. Perverts do what they dream of brutality and so on. But as all great psychoanalysts, from Freud, the founder, to Lacan, so clearly, uh, perversion is always just the hidden side of power. Perversion is not subversive. While hysterical, feminine position, is a permanent questioning of those who pretend to dominate, master, expert, and so on. Hysterical question is always, you are telling me this, but why am I what you are saying that, like, that I am? Like, the fundamental feminist hysterical question is, why do you desire me? What do you see in me? What am I for you? Why do you think I am what you are saying I am? Beautiful woman, mother, lover, whatever. This uh, society is imposing on us certain social roles. Hysteria is questioning them. And I think, unfortunately, Trump is precisely a reaction to this. Trump wants to return to a pseudo-master's discourse, where there is a central authority which gives you clear roles. That's also how, and in a strange way, I appreciate him, because he's doing honestly, although it's totally disagree what he's doing, Jordan Peterson. His message is 
let's step back from this postmodern hysteria, uh, subversion, and so on. Let's return to this basic wisdom. Men, women, we have our tasks. You have to rely on yourself, and so on, and so on. I think that today, maybe more than ever, hysteria is subversive. Let's, is there something more? or uh, How do I go? I don't know. Can you help me? Uh-huh. Ah, sorry. There's like uh, a quadrillion. So when you say... When I say uh, fuck off, we fuck yeah. off. Yes, yes. For whom is there freedom of speech in the current media landscape? A very nice question, this Lenin's quote. I know, probably... My friend refers to that Lenin statement, Lenin, always like, freedom, yes, but for whom to do what? I think today to ask this question is more appropriate than ever. Because, you know, today we automatically identify freedom as freedom of choice. But I think true freedom, as true Democrats or whatever you call them, no, True freedom is not just freedom of choice between what choices you already have. Like, the model of freedom is not, I go to a patisserie, they have chocolate cake, strawberry cake, and name it cheesecake. The true freedom of choice is, why do you have these three cakes? Maybe it shouldn't be cake at all, you know, that you question the very modality of choices you are given. In politics also. This is, for me, the true freedom. And the moment you approach it in this way, freedom, freedoms we have become very limited. Uh, freedom of speech. Uh, okay, it's a vast topic. And uh, on the one hand, I am not a total liberal in the sense of racist joke, you, jokes, you can say anything you want. But at the same time, I wouldn't underestimate the good force of, now in a good sense, ironic distance and so on, humor. For example, and that's my experience with all my friends, with women, with other races and so on. I'm sorry, I have to speak here as what I am, white male. There is, this is all that I will say, there is a way to tell even the dirtiest jokes about racial jokes, sexist jokes, but they are not really racist and sexist. They can serve to establish some solidarity. And, as political correctness demonstrates, you can be extremely careful not to offend anyone and so on and so on, but the way this authority of political correctness is asserted, it's extremely brutal, even racist. Just to give you one simple example, uh, I noticed this so much with white liberals who care about racism, how whenever you say something that might be interpreted as an ironic critique of blacks, they say, but you can insult them, they will be hurt, you shouldn't talk like that. No, they treat blacks or whoever as helpless, innocent, and they are, you know what, the, don't patronize them in this way. For example, one example of political racism, whenever there is a crisis in a third world country, it's fashionable in Western Europe to trace it to, oh, it's an effect of colonialism. We have to be guilty. And as a black friend of mine, from Nigeria, incidentally, he exploded once and told me, this is such a racism, they treat us like children, they don't even give us the right to be authentically evil. If we are evil, no, it's your, you know, give us the right to be evil. We can screw things up ourselves. So uh, this is what I would be very attentive how uh, precisely attempts to protect freedom can limit freedom, how attempts to save the other's dignity can be, can be a form of aggressivity and so on and so on. So again, there is no simple formula here. You cannot, de- here I disagree with uh, political correctness, precisely because it's a question of manners, of irony, and so on, you cannot ever resolve 
problems of sexism, racism, with simply establishing, imposing clear rules. All rules can be subverted through irony and so on and so on. What is the ultimate end of technological progress? Oh, the answer is easy one. It's to make us, if we follow the immanent logic of technology, to build machines which will beat us so that we humans will no longer be needed. And this is not kind of a metaphysical irony. Look, isn't it our big goal is to build an artificial intelligence which will surpass us? And we are playing with devil here, we know. Because what if that intelligence will decide that it will no longer need us, and so on and so on. But I think there definitely is this self-destructive dimension in technology. Not in the sense of we will kill ourselves, but in the sense of we will become useless. We will become that proverbial ladder just used to climb up and then... Artificial intelligence, you can call it singularity now or whatever, will throw us away. Uh, populism with a friendly face. Uh, Macron Trudeau. Uh, here, uh, I think, I'm not sure that maybe we should go more in detail. I'm tempted not to classify Trudeau and Macron as populist. Trudeau is for me more, to use my friend's nice expression, this is maybe the best definition I'm grateful to him of Trudeau, Justin Trudeau. Political correctness with a friendly face, you know. He is the most politically correct president, but he tries to do it not in this fanatical, hateful way with a friendly face and so on. As for Macron, no. I think he tries to be a precisely a technocrat with a friendly face. It's not really a populist. His entire legitimization was against Marine Le Pen. And uh, you know why not? Because populism is not just appealing to people. Look, Lenin appealed to people. Nobody will accuse Lenin of being a populist and so on. You know, populism has always another dimension. Mobilizing populist the basic, what is basically false about populism for me, is this project, we, you, your starting point is that we are in some trouble. Populism always needs an external enemy. You never fully admit that it's our own antagonisms. For example, you know what is for me pure populist construct? You remember this idea now propagated by uh, alt-right of cultural Marxism. No, it's a construct. It doesn't exist. Nobody calls. The, what they escape from is that phenomena that they deplore, political correctness, trans, all that, it's modern permissivity, disintegration of authority. My God, it's uh, the result of the decline, disintegration, uh, which is part of modern capitalist dynamics. The only cultural thing that we have today is, as intelligent Marxists noted long ago, cultural capitalism. How capitalism itself needs more and more the cultural sphere in the broader sense. Internet, movies, amusement, games, to reproduce itself. And in the same way, even high art gets included into the circulation of capital. My favorite example here are, is high art, biennales and so on, Venice Biennale. They all talk about anti-capitalism. Usually they justify themselves, how can modern art avoid commodification? But they're at its purest part of uh, capital's reproduction there and so on and so on. So again, I would respectfully disagree with this idea that Macron and Trudeau, no, they are not. I don't think it's legitimate to categorize them and, as populists. Listen, the time is approaching, so let's do one more and then I collapse. Have you heard about the Dao film, uh, Harzanovsky in Paris? No. No? That's, you know, 
Stalinist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but what will come out of it? Because the idea is that it went on for years and now nobody knows what to do with it. And isn't some crazy new oligarch behind it giving the money or what? Ah, ah, okay, can this count as a... You know what fascinated me in this film? That it's very ambiguous. Because uh, it, you can say that it is some kind of... Critique, but isn't it at the same time a profound fascination by Stalinism? You fall in love, you like the rituals and so on, and you know, now I will expand it to the critique of feminist political correctness. If there is a novel and TV series that I think it's not good, although it pretends to be ultra-feminist, it's Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, you know, it portrays life in a future United States where conservative Christian fundamentalist takes over. Women are even not allowed to read their oppressed. But I have two problems with it. It's all a beautiful example, handmade tale, of what Frederick Jameson, my friend, American Marxist, called nostalgia for the present. My God, I mean, uh, because all this series is sustained by a great nostalgia for what is lost in this uh, fundamentalist terror, our present liberal society. And in this sense, the series portraying this dark domain totally ignores the key question, which is, but how then did this new, horrible, Christian, totalitarian, fundamentalist reign emerge out of our liberal societies. It's just nostalgia. It's very conform. I cannot imagine a more conformist series than Handmaid's Tale because it's basically a big celebration of our liberal societies. It imagines their loss so that we can then have nostalgia for, my God, in what a nice society we live and so on and so on. That's one of the figures of the enemy today. It's easy to attack fundamentalists, but we will not get rid of fundamentalism through, through being fascinated by such series. You know why? Also another deeper reason. When I watched the series, I caught myself enjoying in how they invent new forms of oppressing women, you know, like they are not allowed to read. So when they go to a store, they have to have small painted models. If you want oranges, you show a card with oranges on it. But me, all, all my friends, women included, they enjoy this immensely. You are so fascinated by this oppressive world. And here I draw a parallel with that big project that you mentioned. It's very ambiguous, this type of, uh, this type of fascination with evil. Listen, I have to run now. Ask me one more and then I run. Sorry. Yeah. Aesthetics, because there was like a ton of questions about how the left wing, yeah. uh, uh, like the perception is that they're losing the aesthetic side, that the right wing are always, you know, never disregard the aesthetics, you know, the, the, the beauty, the, the fashion, the visual stuff uh -huh. and so on. And the left are, uh, you know, usually a little bit. Uh, this is a very good question because it's a problem with avant-garde from the very beginning, 100 years ago. Radical avant-garde, and this was all theorized by Theodor Adorno, distrust beauty. Beauty becomes ideological, a conformist idea. The idea is that the work of art should not reflect reality in a realist socialist way, but somehow render, present the truth about our predicament, and that you can only do it in a non-aesthetic way in this sense of Avoiding beauty. It must be in music, atonality, dissonance, painting must not be uh, beautiful, and so on and so on. I think that maybe today this logic is coming to an end. That, uh, why? Because this very subversive model of dissonant music, ugly paintings, it's fully appropriated. Go to some uh, galleries today, big commercial galleries, and you know what you find them? 
all those scandals, you remember, like a statue of Christ in a bottle of urine or whatever, dead cows exposed there and so on. It's all this type of subversion is already fully integrated. So I, uh, what I think we should rehabilitate today is, it will sound horrible, almost proto-fascist, not beauty, but good craftsmanship. That fascinates me. You know, it's not just you have an idea, you put there a body of a dead cow in urine, oh my God, subversive. Art is a hard work. You have to study it, to learn how to do it, and so on, and so on. Craftsmanship. That's what I admire today. That's maybe even the truly subversive thing. Not this instinctual geniuses and so on, subversion. Maybe the most subversive thing today is to be truly disciplined and do your hard work. Sorry, I have to run now. I dropped that. Trump, uh, Trump's remarks, remarks on, on, on. No, it's Trump. It's even, it did hurt me much 
But I'm not for Trump and Nuke. It's disgusting. My point is just, and I'm totally right. Sorry, it was true. Because of Trump, now you have democratic socialism as an option. The world, it's a serious struggle between democratic party and so on and so on. But no, it's Trump and... No, what hurt then is that I always emphasize you liberals who now mock Trump. You ask yourself how you are responsible for that. They don't like to hear that. The transgenderism. My uh, uh, remarks on transgenderism, this was a total All these white men, racist and so on, and many attacks on me were directly racist, you know, in ah, he comes from Balkans, that it may be in his country you do it like this and so on. And this is what always surprises me, how this politically correct anti-racist. You know, I once, even maybe you Russians suffer the same. If you are from uh, Far East or Palestinian or whatever, black, it's okay. But if you are still white, but from the edge, there they are allowed to be a racist, you know? Like, we are still white here, so you can attack us in a very racist way. Once you are Palestinian, black, you are more or less untouchable. You Russians are here also, unfortunately, like us Slovenes. You can be attacked because you are still white, you know? So, you can be attacked even in very brutal racist terms and so on and so on, you know? No, no, it's, we really, I'm not kidding, we live, I think, in very sad and dangerous times, if you ask me, you know. I, I think, but not militarily, like, not like a big uh, global... I, I agree, I was fascinated by my friends from South Korea, you remember half a year ago, when everybody was talking, you know, oh, will they press buttons, and the idea was the first city to be bombed by North Korea will be Seoul. I was there, my friend just laughed, you see, we absolutely don't take this seriously. Guarantee you nothing will happen, no, because people, even North Korea, as you said, this Putin's ironic remark, played this game, because they said they advised citizens of Seoul to move out or whatever. <laughs> they just laughed, and obviously, obviously they were right, you know. You know that I almost got in Seoul, some people there from my university, they have an exchange, wanted me to visit North Korea. They wanted to do me to do a talk there. But they admitted it would have been total control. Every detail. Total control. In advance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Up to how am I dressed, how I address uh, uh, every word of the speech. And uh, that group Leibach, one of their ten, told me the only moment where a North Korean uh, lost this official attitude and broke down in tents was that, you know, they always had this official dialogue. When they changed a little bit in some shock, and the guy came to them, please don't do this, they may kill me, they do this. You know, you, it was very nice that he got this human touch where their North Korean contact from Ministry of Culture was in a total, in a total panic. And no, I, I think even it was their mistake to visit, uh, to visit North Korea, no? But I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know. You know what's the problem of Trump, if you ask me? If economy will do well, and if he at the end succeeds with something like, like uh, North Korea or whatever piece, because remember, uh, Trump is effectively less militaristic than Democrats Clinton. I almost agree with Susan Sarandon, the actress, who is very much to the left. And how do we know that with Hillary we wouldn't already intervene in Korea or in, or in Syria or whatever, you know? So, he may, he may even succeed. As long as Democrats are stupid as they are, now it's incredible, this absolute drive to self-destruction by the American Democrats. I know. Uh, I spoke with some journalists who got some information. It's not a joke. They really connected. Like, I have to run. Thank you.